Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Thursday afternoon. Joining me from, let's see, I would call it the Wells Fargo Center, but where Tim Bontemps is, is technically a game day for the Philadelphia 76ers. So Bontemps, you are in the... Well, it is Wells Fargo Center, but the Sixers and all of their uh, PR releases call it the center as part of their ongoing issues with this arena, which is why they're trying to build a new one in about 75 years downtown in the city. <laughs> so Bontemps was in Boston two days ago for the opener Celtics Sixers. Then yesterday, and I guess earlier today, you were in Canada. I was in Canada Raptors, this morning. Raptors, Raptors Cavs. Cavs. And tonight, Bucks 76ers. Um, yep. By the time you hear this pod, we'll know what happened. Joining us from Phoenix, Arizona, where he was at the rematch, the spicy rematch of the playoff series last year between the Mavericks and the Suns. It's Band McMahon. Howdy, partners. Uh, Damian Lee doesn't have any Game 7 demons hanging over his head. That's true. He had the game of his life. A quarter uh, of his life. Quarter point. Well, <laughs> even still, yeah. game of his NBA life. I'm in Los Angeles. If you're watching on our YouTube stream, I'm right in front of Crypto.com Arena, but we had to lower the shades. You look um, like you're in the crypt. <laughs> I, know, I know it looks terrible, but it's actually like <laughs> this gorgeous room. But, you know, the, the miracles of lighting uh, doesn't allow it. Um, Lakers Clippers tonight here. Um, so we saw we've seen the holy except for two teams. The Bucks and the Clippers haven't played yet. They play uh, in our tonight. Your folks listening last night. Um, we've gotten, you know, the early, way too early, um, of views of the league. And I just want to sort of go down a little bit of a list from what we're seeing. And you might as well start with that game last night in Phoenix that you were at McMahon, where the Suns were down 22 points. Um, they made a massive comeback. One of the biggest comebacks, I think the biggest comeback in five years that they had Yeah, for them since 2017. And they finished it with Chris Paul on the bench. Monty Williams did not mm. go back to Chris Paul. But uh, before we get into that, I want you to know what you thought of watching the Suns and Mavericks, particularly one certain player on the Mavericks who scored more points than minutes, but then didn't come back in the game. So we'll let you give your assessment on what you saw out of that game for those guys. Yeah, boy, at halftime, I was ready to find a spot in the desert to bury the Suns. Uh, you know, uh, Monty Williams said at halftime, his cheeks were puckered a bit. Um, so certainly it was like, Whoa. which cheeks, <laughs> uh, not the one that are near teeth. Um, it was, uh, it felt like, you know, just a carryover from game seven. And then, you know, the Suns scrapped and clawed and got back in it uh, in the third quarter. I think the, the Mavs got a little cocky, relaxed a little bit. But then, you know, Christian Wood, the more points, the minutes guy that you're talking about, he took over. He scored 16 straight points uh, for the Mavericks. The lead goes from one. It went from 22 to one. You have the Christian Wood takeover. It's back up to 16 with eight and a half, or I'm sorry, 15 with eight and a half minutes left. Uh, then Devin Booker checked in. Uh, a couple minutes later, Chris Paul checked out, as you said, never came back in. Um, and it was just one of those things where, like, the rest of that quarter, there were two things. Like, are the Mavs really going to blow this? And then um, Christian Wood checked out, when I believe, when Chris Paul did. And I was like, I, I'd said, I don't think it should be assumed that he will be closing games. 
Um, and actually, I asked Jay Kidd before the game, hey, with those minutes at the five and four, you know, as you're closing games, how are you, you know, what factors are you considering in terms of who's going to be on the floor? And he said, who's going to defend? And then he said, I'm ah, just kidding. And I was like, yeah, there's a lot of truth told in jest. And he, he laughed. Um, that's why I do believe that Maxi Kleba is going to be on the floor to close a lot of these games because he gives them the best combination of defense and then floor spacing, although he didn't shoot it uh, often or well last night. Uh, Christian Wood did come back in with a couple minutes left. They kind of went offense, defense down the stretch. Um, he gave about as, as good of an answer in, in terms of PR as you could when I asked him after the game, hey, you know, down the stretch, it's, it's it's five minutes, four minutes, three minutes. Like, what are you thinking as you're sitting over there? And he he said, I'm just happy to be on this team. You know, he mentioned, boy, <laughs> I, I got to make my free throws, you know. Uh, and then he he basically said, um, you know, late in games, it's about trust. I've got to earn trust on this team. Now, that you know, there might be some folks in the Christian Wood camp who aren't quite so uh, – so so willing to be warm and fuzzy about the situation and think it's absolute coaching malpractice that he wasn't uh, on the floor for 35 minutes. Um, but again, he he handled the answer well. And, you know, the stuff I'm hearing from the Mavericks about him is all very positive. Apparently, he hasn't been late yet, which if you know his history, that is a massive change. <laughs> hey, like, how, how, hey how's, how's player X doing? Well, he hasn't been late yet. <laughs> no, no, like, hey, seriously, like this guy has uh, a reputation for the worst punctuality maybe in the league. And so since he I'm talking about like all summer long, you know, he, he hasn't been late yet. That's a it's a major, major strides. Um, and, you know, he's the, the here's the thing. It's just can he guard anybody, anybody? Uh, Andrew Bailey who's a good follow on Twitter mentioned that that last night um when they were on the floor that I don't have the numbers in front of me but when Luke and, and C Wood were on the floor the offensive rating was like 120 some odd uh <clears throat> points per 100 possessions it was like 41 points and I think 16 minutes that they scored something crazy like that um the problem is they gave up 40 during that time so there you go uh he can put it he can put it in the hole um certainly you know, it, it looked like he was going to, you know, play a starring role in a win. Uh, things fell apart for him down the stretch. Um, and he sat and watched a lot of that happen. So, Bontemps, I know you were working the the Cavs-Raptors, which came down to the final seconds last night. You were working the locker room. You probably didn't get to watch almost any of this game. But let me just say that my takeaway, well, this, it was great resilience for the Suns because they obviously we've talked about, I was there early in the preseason. Um, my just concern over their overall mood as a team, their lack of depth was mm -hmm. on display in this game. Um, the missing of Jay Crowder, even if Jay Crowder wasn't as good last year as he was the year before, not having Jay Crowder, it exposes this team to being a little thin. Um, and in this game, Cam Johnson, who started, um, and had 15 points in 25 minutes, he had leg cramps. So mm -hmm. the only, only reason Damian Lee was on the floor that much really was because they were out of bodies. And you look at Devin Booker, 41 minutes, Bridges, 41 minutes. Um, there, it was a good win, and Booker was great. And I'm not worried at all about um, 
I'm not worried at all about not playing Chris Paul at the end of the game. Uh, first off, Monty Williams and Chris Paul have a trust level. Secondly, when you have a team making a comeback like they were, it wouldn't surprise me if Chris Paul kind of was okay with not coming back in because they had, you know, they had to, they had caught lightning in a bottle, but you don't like to have to catch lightning in a bottle. So while it was a good like little revenge game for the Suns, and it did show their resilience. And by the way, DeAndre Ayton looked really good in the second half. He and Booker were really good on the floor together. I'm a, my big takeaway from the Suns is that they are thin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't really trust Corey, Torrey Craig to play that much. That's kind of the guy who's sort of allegedly filling in for Jay Crowder. And Bontemps, they're going to have to do something with the Jay Crowder spot. They're either going to have to talk him into coming back, which seems like a long shot at this point, or they're going to have to do something because they'll win some games, but, but they're not quite the same team missing that spot. Yeah. I mean, if campaign and, and Damian Lee, no offense to Damian Lee, who obviously, like you said, had, had to, you know, the crazy fadeaway shot at the end of the game, scored 11 points last night. If they're, if they're playing your top two guy, they're your top two minutes guys off the bench. That, that ain't getting it done um, when it gets down to it. What, I, what I'll say, just looking at the box score, you know, we go back to the spring. Chris Paul had a pretty horrendous final five games against the Dallas Mavericks. I know he was on the – I understand they were making a comeback. He still was one for six and had six points in 30 minutes. Like, he, McMahon, no, he, is, he, as someone who was there, are, you, are we concerned at all about late 30s Chris Paul? And is, is, is there some concern that we're maybe starting to hit a bit of a wall here? You know, a scout who was there last night uh, – texting me post game we're just kind of chatting about the game and and he said hey you know i agree it's too much to call this a benching it was just monty going with the flow but he basically said hey cp3 deserved to sit down the stretch like he didn't play well um i you know i have made the mistake of saying chris paul was on the decline before certainly his last year in houston i believed it the league yeah. believed it. Uh, the Rockets definitely believed it. Um, so I don't, I don't want to make that knee-jerk statement. But he didn't look good. He is thirty-seven years old. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe he's still, maybe still a little bit under the weather. Maybe he hadn't recovered from from that little <laughs> bout that he had uh, during the Western Conference semifinals. Well, you know? I mean, listen, it, it certainly could be. It could be a. It could be a long-range situation. But look, I think. To me, just looking at the box, because obviously I didn't get a chance to see much of the game. I, I saw the very mm-hmm. final couple possessions. That was what just jumped out to me just looking at it. It's like one for six in 30 minutes and six points. Like that's minus nine. That's not what we're expecting to see from Chris Paul. And while the depth on the bench is certainly a concern, and let's see what happens with the Jay Crowder spot. The reason the Suns were so good last year, as we all know, we talked about it a thousand times, right? They were great in late and close situations. And a lot of that was Chris Paul yeah. and Devin Booker putting buckets in the basket down the stretch. And if Chris Paul is not going to be that level player, like to me, you just write the Suns off as a championship contending team. Like if he's not going to be that good, mm-hmm. they don't have a chance to be at that kind of level. So that the one, that's the one takeaway from the box for me. The other thing is at halftime we were texting and you were shoveling dirt on the Sons. Oh, yes. And I got a, t- I got a text from a scout as I got back to my hotel room saying, you better turn this game on that this is completely flipped around. So I, I was just stunned that um, as somebody who didn't get a chance to follow the game because I was busy, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just stunned how much it flipped because it certainly did not look like it was headed that way early on. Well, I think a big part of the Suns' problems in the first half was DeAndre Ayton got in foul trouble. And, and when Wendy, as you mentioned, he was really, really, really good uh, in the second half. But, yeah, the, the Suns dominating in crunch time, we saw that last year. They, they were by far the best clutch team in the league, 33-9 and nine in, 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 game, in games that uh, included clutch time. Um, so not surprising to see them dominate down the stretch of a close game. But as you said, it's usually Chris Paul who's the one – leading the way um and real quick on the depth Landry Shamit didn't play you know he was out due to an injury so that is a little depth hit but completely agree on the Jay Crowder situation um you know obviously they they didn't want him to continue to start but boy that's at least like a 25 minute per game hole in the rotation that they really don't have an answer for and I just I just don't understand the hey you know Sit, sit at home and we'll figure it out eventually type of uh, well, approach that was, here. That was Jay's call. Jay wanted to sit at, at home, as far as I understand. Well, and if I'm the, running the Phoenix Suns, I say, Jay, I'm sorry your feelings are hurt, but you're getting paid uh, about $10 million this year, and we need you to show up and play. Well, if Jay Crowder wants to get paid, he also has got to play at some point, too, I would think. At some point, you got to meet in the minds there. And like I, as you just said, I guess Aiden was in foul trouble in the first half, but to me, looking at his line, Eight for 11 for 18 points. If I'm looking at this Suns team, to me, this has to be the year where they start getting DeAndre Ayton 15, 16 shots a game to me. Like he's got to get. You know what? To take that many shots. But then Chris Paul got there. I, I know. Did. But I, I think for this team to take a step to potentially take a step forward, especially when we're talking about their lack of depth, I, I don't want him having 11 shots. I think he needs to get 15, 16 shots. I think they need to make an effort to do that. I asked Monty Williams pregame, you know, the way I said it it was, you know, Aiton's obviously a talented young player with a lot of ambition. Where does he have potential growth to score within the structure of their team? And he essentially said, like, "Mm, we don't really need him to grow as a scorer. We've got a lot of guys who can score. And he brought up. He brought up Mikael Bridges, oh, I which I thought was interesting. I, know. I mean, I agree no, Mikael Bridges could get some more shots too, but like, I, I just don't understand their handling of DeAndre Ayton from the beginning. The, the way they well, handled the contract was a disaster. Yeah. Like, this guy is a talented offensive player. You don't have a lot of guys that can score. Get him some more touches. Get him some more points. Maybe he'll be happier. Maybe he'll talk to Bonnie Williams then. Like, well, I, like and, what are we I, doing here? And I asked the question as a, as a, as a way to kind of take the temperature Right. Uh, uh, on that situation. And the one thing that uh, that Monty did mention is, uh, well, he could be a little bit more aggressive when he gets the ball down low. You know, he passes out a lot of times. <laughs> so I was, I was like, that's interesting because <laughs> I don't know if he's known as a as a guy. He's a not guy exactly Nikola Jokic. I don't know if he's a big time distributor. <laughs> the last the last two seasons, he has averaged 63 percent shooting on 11 shots a game. Last night he took eleven shots. He shot seventy-two percent. I know. So I just I think he's got to shoot more. All right, moving on. Um, so we talked at length in the various pods leading up to the season about the competition level in the East. So Bontemps, two nights ago, I'm watching Boston play <laughs> Philly. The game you're at, and yep. it's just an absolute talent display. I mean, I don't like how ISO heavy. The, um, the the 76ers are. Maybe we could talk about that later. Well, somebody else didn't like it too, but we'll get to that. We'll Ooh. get to that in a second. All right. Was that the, uh, so, the stretch five? <laughs> it might have been. <laughs> so... 
it's time to knock that new business idea out of the park with Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand. Discover new customers and build the relationships that create those diehard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow winning business. From an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. Even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is on your team every step of the way. It's how every minute new sellers around the world score their first sale with Shopify. And you can too. Shopify is the secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning idea to the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Try out Shopify for free today and start selling anywhere. Now let's talk about the play of the week, the pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So anyway, uh, going back, um, when you watch the, 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 those guys start the, the game, you're like looking at these two lineups and you're like, these are, th- these, these lineups are filled with dudes, you know, and you got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum throwing haymakers mm-hmm. at, at Philly. And then I go to the next night where I'm now watching the game you're at. I, I made a, I made Cavs Raptors a priority to watch uh, on Wednesday night. Um, Can't imagine why. The guy, the guy that I was with is also a, a, a big-time NBA person. I won't say who it is because I don't have their permission. And he was in control of the remote, and he kept wanting to go to other games, and he really wanted to watch the Grizzlies-Knicks. Fun game, and too. I kept, I kept having to prod him, go back, <laughs> go back to Cavs-Raptors. But – I'm watching the starting, you know, I, I'm watching that game tip off and the starting lineups. And it's like, my God, these teams are just loaded. Sure are. Uh, and so, you know, in and of itself of this game, this particular game, the Cavs were, had a bad uh, break. Darius Garland went out with an eye injury in the second quarter. And um, they struggled a little bit to score down the stretch, which we'll talk about in a minute. But... And then tonight, Bontemps, you're going to see the the Bucks. Who, hello, only have the best um, player on the in the universe on their team. It's not, not so bad. Like this game, this game, this Raptors Cavs game. It's 108-105. Toronto wins it. Made a couple more plays down the stretch. This is what the Eastern Conference is going to be. These teams are going to bludgeon each other, and they're all so good. And I'm seeing it two nights in, and like. We knew it already, but it's manifesting itself. I mean, the Cavs played 
pretty good in this game. They shot 50%. They held the Raptors to 42%. Donovan Mitchell in his first game goes for 31. Um, you know, they're had and some nine assists. Yeah, he played uh, point guard the second half because Garland was out. And it wasn't enough. Like, this is what I'm saying. Like, these teams could, like, be excellent and all win 45 games. And, um, you know, you've seen it up close the first two nights. You'll see it up close tonight. Yeah, and I'll see it this weekend when I see uh, Boston and Miami and Toronto down in South Beach. Like, the the East is loaded, and I assume we're going to get to Pelicans-Nets later. I have some thoughts on the Nets in terms of how people view them in that conversation then. But in terms of these, in terms of the game last night first, it sort of went the way I thought it would. You know, when Darius Garland went out, um, the Cavs went back to what they were last year, which was when they had Darius Garland on the court, they were a very good team Mm -hmm. because he could run efficient offense. When he was not on the court, they were a dumpster fire. And that was the case again last night. It was not a great sign for Karis LeVert, who the Cavs had put in at, at small forward to start. Uh, that was one of the big questions in the preseason. What were they going to do next to the two bigs and the two guards? Who was going to play the third spot? They put Karis LeVert in there. He really struggled in this game with Toronto's length. And whenever Donovan Mitchell went out of the game in the second half, the Raptors immediately took off and scored a bunch of points. So that's going to be something to monitor um, going forward because the Cavs are a little short outside yeah, those top it, four but, guys. But that's only a problem because Garland was out of the game. They'll be able to have either Garland or Donovan Mitchell on the floor at all times. That's true, so, but it's but to me that th- that that small forward spot is the thing to watch. It's less about the fact that they struggled with Mitchell off the court. It's that they don't have they have those mm-hmm. two guys and that's it. Now those two guys are really good, but that fifth spot that's out there. Like last night, they're playing Toronto, which is kind of a funky team. They don't necessarily have that elite wing score. But you talk about going up against Chris Middleton or Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or Jimmy Butler or you know any of these, name it, Kevin Durant, any of these other teams in the East, they don't have the guys to go up against those kind of guys. Um, and even last night, Pascal Siakam had an awesome game. Sometimes he's going up against Evan Mobley mm-hmm. and Jared Allen, but like, they didn't have anybody to really throw at him when he was going up against any of their wing players. So the, that was the, ba- the main takeaway there. Besides the fact that Donovan Mitchell looked really good and him and Darius Garland fit well together. And those two bigs, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, multiple times stoned Scotty Barnes at the rim going in for dunks. They blocked Scotty yeah, Barnes at say, one point in a 10 second stretch. They were very impressive inside in terms of walling if off you the were, rim. If you were a Raptors fan, um, the Cavs, generated a ton of baskets at the rim. I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me about how many shots they got in the restricted area, but, but, but in between penetration and between throwing lobs in there to Jared Allen and setting up Evan Mobley repeatedly. And the reason they shot 50% was they were shooting at the front of the rim. Non-stop. Well, here's, here's the stats for you. So the Cavs had 50, there was a 52 to 36 advantage in points in the paint for the Cavs. Cavs were 26 for 42 on shots in the paint. The Raptors were 18 for 43. So they got more shots even inside, but the presence of Mobley and and Allen at the rim caused them to miss a bunch of them. And frankly, look, that's what the Cavs are built around, right? We've got these two guards who are going to light people up, and then we've got these two bigs that when they let guys get by them and get to the rim – they're going to have guys there. They're going to be able to shut them down. And at least, you know, if Darius Garland doesn't get hurt, there's a decent chance that um, that Cleveland wins that game. 
and things look differently. But from the other side of it, Raptors had a couple guys out. Chris Boucher, Otto Porter Jr. didn't play, but the Raptors are going to be an equally difficult team to play because the way they scramble around on defense, they got all these six, seven guys they are flying around, creating steals all over the place. Classic Raptors game. Um, Six guys in double figures make the plays that they need to make and guess have great coaching, great adjustments. They come out of timeouts and they scratch it out at the end. That's and how they're down too. 13 to two yep. run in the fourth quarter, come back from a deficit, pull away and win late at home. But like, if this was a seven game series in, uh, you know, the first round of the playoffs in a few months, I'd be pretty psyched. Like it would be a really, right. really fun seven series. Games, by the way, probably would be. Um, and to your point about how deep the East is like these teams might be the, fifth and sixth, sixth and seventh teams in the East. You, you guys like, keep saying how deep the East is. I feel like the top eight of the West is just as tough, just as deep. I agree. You may be I right. Agree. I, I, I just telling you like the studs in these lineups in the East. I mean, the East is going to have probably the West has some dudes too. The West I know, has man, but I'm telling you like there could pro- there's like, there's going to be some real stars left off the all-star team in the East. You know what the difference Before- is, McMahon? People have been saying for a generation that, how deep the West is every yeah. year. And the difference is there's no longer this imbalance right, where like right. the East has got three good teams. Like there's eight or nine really good teams in the East, just the same as the West, which is, that's mm-hmm. the difference. It's like, that was not what people well, the West, say the, for a long the West, time. There's eight and then we fall off a cliff. Well, yes. All right. Well, so that, before we, before we move on to, I want to talk about the Pelicans Nets. my last comment on this Raptors Cavs game. Evan Mobley only takes nine shots down the stretch. The ball was in Jared Allen's hands more than Evan Mobley's hands. We all know Evan Mobley's terrific defensively. Evan Mobley's got to develop more of a go-to offensive presence if he's going to be the type of player that the Cavs need to elevate them. That did not happen in game one, so we're going to take a look at that. Okay, Pelicans-Nets. Bontemps in the preseason. You saw the Nets several times. You sounded the alarm that despite their their changes – um, their defense looked no better to you, mm. but their defense was their big uh, problem last year. I sounded the alarm that Seth Curry was five months off of arthroscopic surgery and yet yet cleared to play. And Joe Harris had two surgeries on his ankle last year and is now played one game and now has disappeared, but no setbacks. The Pelicans looked again. This is another team Ooh. where you watch them play and you're like, what a bunch of studs. What a bunch of thoroughbreds they're running out in their starting lineup. They are like Willie Green isn't getting the res- I mean, I'm guilty of it too. I never talk about them. They are well coached. They mm-hmm. are a deep team and they're, they're currently healthy. You know, Zion is healthy. Larry Nance is healthy. McCollum is healthy. They handle their business. They move the ball. They generate open shots. They have a great balance of shooting. They have a nice balance of veteran players. Brandon Ingram is an absolute stud. And Herb Jones, man, in this game, Herb Jones, two of seven shooting, four rebounds, three assists, six points. You're like, all right, it sounds kind of like, kind of like a weak link starter. How about plus 34? How about the one block being blocking Kevin Durant's jump shot? How about that? Yeah, he blocked Kevin Durant's jump shot from like, he was like seven feet from him when Durant shot. Yeah, it, was and he a, just, it was a three-pointer that he was closing out to. Like, that that doesn't happen. He is the perfect uh, fifth starter for them. They've got 
they've got three guys who might combine to average 70 points per game, 70, 75 points per game. I mean, Brandon Ingram, like this dude, you know, we talk about him as, uh, you know, he might be, you know, he's in that all-star conversation. Dude, he might be ascending to, uh, we, we might be talking about him completely differently by the time the all-star loading uh, comes around. CJ McCollum's your third offensive option. You're, you're loaded. And, and we talked about Zion. Zion looks, I mean, just physically, the way he's moving, the way he looks, looks great. Um, I'm telling you, Pelicans are going to be fun this year. Now, hold on. Hold on. I got some things to say. Now, I agree the Pelicans are going to be fun. I, I had a lot of people texting me last night saying, oh, man, here come the Pelicans. They're going to be awesome. I'm you not want to fart all over the Nets. Listen, I'm not saying the Pelicans aren't going to be really good. I'm not saying they aren't going to be really fun. They might be really good. Now, I have some real questions about their ability to guard people outside of Herb Jones. Let's see what they look like. When they're playing some of these other Herb good teams. Jones guards one through five simultaneously. Well, yes. well simultaneously. He's have, he might have to sometimes against with the team they have. But we got to talk about this Nets team. This Nets team has no size. You go up against Jonas Valanciunas and Zion Williamson, two big dudes. What happened? Those guys combined for 22 rebounds. They combined for nine offensive rebounds. They completely pummel them inside. The Nets have no perimeter defense. DJ goes off. Brandon Ingram goes off. This team has no athleticism defensively outside of Ben Simmons. And you could argue maybe Royce Young or Royce O'Neal, I should say, not Royce Young, uh, our former colleague. Terrible defender. (laughs) Uh, No size. No, no size with no size for Royce either. Uh, Nick Claxton and Daron Sharp, only bigs on the roster. If you look at these other teams, like six, eight and a half. Right. And Nick Claxton weighs as much as me. If you look at these other teams in the East, Cleveland, Atlanta, Toronto, Miami, the three teams at the top that we've talked about a ton. I just think all these teams are flat out better than this Nets team. I just don't. And and here's something else. One more thing before you go, McMahon. Without Curry and Harris, they were 21st in the preseason in three-point shooting. Preseason, okay? Guess what? Last night, 10 of 33. Not only do they have weak defense, they don't even have shooting right now. Kyrie went 0 of 6, but uh, he has proclaimed that he's going to be MVP this season. Um, so I just, you know, sit back, let Kyrie work. He's going to be the MVP. I got off to campaign, got off to a little tough start last night with that 6 of 19 uh, performance. But yeah, Ben Simmons, I was, I've, I've allowed his preseason work to get me back to being optimistic about him. Uh, he had, Four points, five rebounds, five assists, and six fouls last night. Never good when you have more fouls and points, rebounds, and assists. After fouling out of their last preseason game in like 13 minutes. Yeah. They, they I mean, I, out in 23 minutes. That's, uh, I mean, listen, they, again, the Nets have some high end talent, but I just, I look at this team. It reminds me a lot of the conversation we've had for the past year or two about the Lakers, where they've got a couple high end players and the rest of the roster is a combination of not very good and doesn't make sense. And this team in general just reminds me a lot of the Dwight Kobe Laker team that people kept proclaiming was going to be good and Mm -hmm. ultimately was not. And it's just, unless they make a trade, obviously getting Joe Harris and Seth Curry back will help. But there's not a, you can't look at this team and tell me that there's a, a logical way 
they're going to have a decent defense. And without any size and without any permanent athleticism on the team, unless they can turn Joe Harris's, Joe Harris's contract into another player or they can make some other kind of move where they don't have draft picks and they don't have young players to trade, I just don't see how they fix that. And well, it's hard to see where this goes from here. In well, they have the Sixers pick. They could trade the Sixers pick. It's not going to be a good pick, but they do have that. Didn't they give that up to? They already traded you? it for Royce Young. Or yeah. I keep saying Royce Young. They keep oh. they traded it for Royce O'Neal. I mean, come on, fair Wendy. point. <laughs> like you, you <laughs> that, that, that old, I, I seem to remember that trade. I seem to remember that trade. Uh, um, but the good news is, like, if they get off to a rough start, I think this team's going to really stick together, have a lot of resolve. I don't, I don't see any kind of internal friction complicating matters. I, you know, I, I, I think everything will be. Uh, warm and fuzzy there you know all's been forgiven with uh katie trying to get everybody fired it'll be good uh all right to be continued there um how i wanted another thing that bon Temps said in the preseason was he saw the knicks play a couple of times and you were very clear that you thought that the knicks were going to be better than expected now the difficulty with projecting the knicks to be better they won 37 games last year and the difficulty of the East, they could be better this year and win 39 games or 41 games. And that would still probably be considered not a great year because then they're going to be stuck in the middle in a great draft. Um, but well, I think there's a I real watched... chance they have, they could be better than the Nets. Whoa. Hmm. Whoa. Hot take. I think, it, I think it's tough to say that when you, when the Nets are missing, they're two very important shooters. And if those guys miss like yeah. half the season, but I mean, I, I don't know, man. Ben Get to your point on the Knicks. Bad. Get to your point on the Knicks. All right. I watched a fair amount of the Knicks play. I watched them play a couple of times mm-hmm. in the preseason and I watched them in this Grizzlies game last night and the Grizzlies won and Ja was absolutely incandescent. And I am God, proud of, I am proud of ESPN frankly, that we had the Grizzlies on, on opening night because Bontemps and I behind the scenes campaigned for Grizzlies attention over the last year and a half. And then we did the big thing last year where we had NBA today went out there and spent the whole day out there and then job missed the game. Um, but jaw was absolutely brilliant in this game. And I don't want to overlook that. We'll talk about that in a second. And I, I was Terrific that he was on TV, uh, national TV. But the Knicks have their act together. They move the ball. They are organized on defense. They actually look like they have some depth. I've, I have personally pr- never seen Cam Reddish play this well in the NBA as he played in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and when they have Quentin Grimes, Cam Reddish won't be playing. So that won't be an issue. Well, he maybe they should be evaluated that. I know he played yeah. well yesterday. I don't, yeah. I don't anticipate he'll be playing. Um, Isaiah Hartenstein is one of the underrated signings in the Eastern conference this year. I couldn't believe there wasn't more interested in him. I couldn't believe what they got him for. He's one of the, he's an excellent addition for their team. I, I am in, and in, and in this game, by the way, RJ Barrett was terrible and, um, and Jalen Brunson did not have a very good game. And yet the Knicks Jalen Brunson didn't shoot the ball. Well, he did a lot of things. Well, Fair including drawing yeah. drawing a charge that essentially forced overtime. Oh my God! The the the, what, the guts. First off, it was a tremendous play design by Taylor Jenkins to set the play up, 
and then incredible play by Jalen. He might have been a block, by the way. Might have been a block, but, but it was a lot I of mean, guts. What a what a moment that would have been if the Knicks pull off the win because you know Tibbs, you know long lost son who re- who returned to him, uh, <laughs> drew a charge to force overtime, and then you know then made the pass, drove and made the kicked it out to Reddish in the corner uh, for for the three that had, had tied it up. Uh, now, why was seconds left? Was Santi Aldama trying to take away the layup when they were up three? I don't know. Um, the Hardenstein thing's interesting. Uh, he played 40 minutes. It was an overtime game. He played 40 minutes off the bench. Mitch Robinson played 13. That's it. Um, let's keep an eye on that. They gave Mitch Robinson a, a really nice contract to be a 13 minute per game guy. Uh, well, Tibbs talked but- him up a bunch in the preseason and he did have five fouls. I, I didn't, obviously this is a game and I, I didn't get a chance to see hardly any of either because of I was doing this other game. But I mean, look, the reason I was high on the Knicks compared to what I think overall expectations were for him was you look at their team, they've got 10 quality players. Tibbs likes to run a second unit, their second unit with Rose, Obi, Hartenstein, Emmanuel quickly, and then either Grimes or Reddish makes a lot of sense. Jalen is going to get guys like RJ and Julius better shots. Julius played pretty well, at least by the box score in this game last night. Um, you know, that was a that's a quality performance from them to go on the road in Memphis in the opener and take them to overtime. Like they're just going to be a really difficult team to play on another basis. And Tibbs is going to have them playing hard and guarding people. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're just it's it's just another example of a team. And look, we've been down on Chicago. They go into Miami without Zach Levine, without Lonzo Ball, and beat the Heat in their opening game. Like it, it's just going to be really hard every night trying to get wins in the East against these kind of teams. I'm just saying, if you're a Knicks fan, you might have something this year. You might have something this year. Um, as for the oh, you Grizzlies. You might have a first-round exit. Well, what do you want me to say? As for the Grizzlies, jaw at both ends. Jaw made like three or four plays in overtime at both ends that were just, just spectacular. Um, and... Um, you mentioned Santi Aldama, McMahon. So this is apparently this is possibly the Grizzlies' most recent draft find, draft mm-hmm. and development find. Um, he is playing big minutes because uh, Jaron Jackson is out recovering from surgery. Um, he had 18 and 11 as a starter last night. I know he quite he got quite a bit of um, um, minutes in the preseason. He was the 30th pick in last year's draft. Um, seven footer from Spain. And I mean, the Grizzlies started two guys taking 30th in the draft last night. Uh, now Bain, Desmond two guys taking 30th guys. and undrafted John Conchar because Dylan Brooks missed the game with a, with a uh, sore thigh. Um, and all guys who they really like, I mean, they love Bane. a good player. Yeah. Bain, Bain really struggled shooting the ball last yeah, night, but they feel game. like, they feel like he is going to be right in the, in the middle of uh, the conversation about all-star guards in the Western Conference. Uh, Conchar, they gave a, a contract extension this year. Um, I, I will say this. There was one time where Ja threw a lob in the half court to Conchar, who is <clears throat> deceptively athletic. Um, but it, it <laughs> That's violated. That's what they used to say about you, right, McMahon? 
<laughs> Nobody ever called me athletic, and, and not even deceptively. Uh, it, it did violate a uh, an unwritten rule of never throw a lob to a white wing in the half court. <laughs> well, um, I loved watching this game, and um, the Grizzlies are nowhere near a hole, and they got the win. That was all that mattered. But if you're a Knicks fan, you had to take something away from that. Um, before we go, I wanted to talk about one more game, and that was the Bulls going into Miami and beating the Heat. Now, we have sounded the alarm about our concern about the Bulls throughout the preseason. Not, so, not only because we're worried about their roster, but we're worried about their relative standing in the Eastern Conference, that they could be a team that has gone all in um, mm-hmm. with their trades for DeRozan and their trade uh, for Vucevic. Um, and, you know, what they've signed – Zach Levine to Zach Levine started the season on the shelf because his mm. knee is still not right. Um, that is worrisome. Lonzo ball is mm. obviously out indefinitely. Um, uh, they go into Miami on opening night and win. Uh, DeMar DeRozan has another DeMar DeRozan night 37. He was great. Um, what I will say about the bulls is while we were singing their doom and gloom and very worried about their point guard situation, which I remain Um, in the preseason, whatever you want to make of it, they were awesome on offense. They were the number two offensive team in the preseason, um, both efficiency wise and scoring. And they were very effective shooting the ball. I think they were top five in three point shooting, um, which surprised me when I looked up those numbers and they go into Miami and they drop 116 on the heat. um, And, I remain concerned, but Mm -hmm. I have to admit that actually on the court, both in the preseason and in the opener, uh, Bontemps, they have displayed competence. And that is a high, any, any win against those top six or seven teams in the East on the road this year is comes with like a little diamond and they got a diamond out of the gate. Yeah, they did. But I just want to talk about Zach Levine. Uh, This is, this to me is a really bad sign for, for him is the biggest wet blanket in the world well, no, no 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 listen listen <laughs> oh they, that's listen that's a good win last night that's a really good win brian's 100 right but this zach levine situation to me is wild like this this is what zach said i, I was looking up the quote while you guys while you guys were talking about it this is what zach said on friday before five last last week Mm-hmm. Not having any aches and pains and being able to play without any limitations in my own mind is huge. Like, okay, I can't go left or I might not be able to dunk on this play. You're not supposed to be thinking that way when you're playing basketball. And I was dealing with that a lot last year. Mm-hmm. I'm just happy I feel better. He said that less than a week ago. And then on Wednesday, before this game, he meets with reporters. And he's like, yeah, this is going to be the plan going forward. Might have to sit sometimes then tries to say there wasn't a flare-up in the knee. And then before the game, Billy Donovan says, Zach didn't really do any five-on-five this summer. And then they ramped him up in practices. And then his knee started to bother him. Uh-oh. So, like, and then Steve gave- Nash burst through the backdrop like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> Everything is fine. <laughs> like, they just gave this guy five years at $215 million this summer. Oof. And he ramps up in some five-on-five and has knees. Now, look. He says he's, it seems like he might play this weekend. Uh, I think they play Cleveland at home on Saturday. He could play in that game. They play 
tomorrow against Wash Friday against Washington. He could maybe play in that game. Well, but, I wouldn't be surprised if they keep him out of back to backs. I mean, coming off knee surgery, you're not surprised. I'm just saying back to back. Going, I'm, I'm obviously last night was a great win. They played really well. Nick Vucevic outplayed Bam out of bio. Bam's postseason struggles at least carried over to the first game. Interested to see what he looks like against uh, Boston and Toronto this weekend. But the, the way the, the Zach situation is playing out, especially in light of what's happened with Lonzo Ball, it's just something to, to monitor because if the concerning. Bulls can get the Bulls can get all their guys on the court, you know, Alex Caruso, Lonzo Ball, you know, Zach, Demar. Like you go back to the first half of last season, mm-hmm. they did look like a really good team, mm-hmm. and since January, they've never had all those guys available again. So, those quotes yesterday were just wild. Reading through them, I just was like, "What?" You know, it, it like this is Robert Williams was supposed to come back from surgery, uh, yeah. come back without offseason surgery. He's just going to rest. He's going to be ready to go. And then the week before the season, well, he's got knee surgery. He's out for three or he's out, not going to do basketball activities for eight to twelve weeks. I'm not saying we're headed that way with Zach Levine, but hearing the coach say he didn't do anything in the offseason, he ramps up to lead up to the start of the season, and then he has pain in the knee. It's just not a great sign. Well, as long as we bring up Chris Paul being a little bit worried about him, Kyle Lowry was just banged up and off his game all last season. Again, it's one game out of 82, but Lowry was poor in this one. They played him 35 yeah, got minutes. Some- Got some feedback that that didn't look great last night from people watching that game. Yeah. Um, one of seven, oh, a five on three. Um, mm. you know, the thing about the heat in this game, they actually, you know, the heat have high variance, three point shooters. They have, uh, you know, hero and Struess and, um, Duncan Robinson are going to jack threes and some nights when they make them like the heat are going to look unstoppable. They made him in this game. Struess five of seven hero, four of eight, uh, Duncan Robinson made one of three. It's not good when you're at home and you get um, 10 three-pointers from those dudes on, what, 18? There are 10 of 18 on threes and you lose. Um, well, look, a little bit- Bam Adebayo was outscored and out-rebounded by Nick Vucevic, who mm. was plus 16 in this game, and Bam oh, was shoot. minus 15. Like, if, yeah. if Bam Adebayo is going to be getting outplayed by Nick Vucevic, the Heat are going to be in some trouble. Like, that's, that, cannot be, that cannot be how that's going to go. Well, we're going to watch, keep an eye on those Bulls, too. So, um, all right. Well, thanks for listening. Hold to on. We're not even going to touch oh. on the Lakers. I know they're playing tonight. <laughs> Come on, well, dude. I am worried Le- about, you know. LeBron, LeBron basically, what do you call it? The truth. You did an, after, you did an entire TV one. segment about LeBron's uh, antics. But, and we but also didn't even talk the, about. That was wasn't even the most. In, yeah, the most interesting postgame press conference was Russ saying that his hammy acted up because he's not used to coming off the bench. Remember, his back tightened up last year say. because he isn't used to sitting so much in the fourth quarter like he yeah, did. I was going to so say, we have it's early in the Russ. game, it's his hamstring. Late in the game, it's his back. I'm just wondering how in the hell has Russell Westbrook survived so many halftimes in his NBA career? <laughs> like, what is he like just, you know, jumping in a vat of icy hot during halftime or running on a trip like – what in the hell kind of passive, aggressive, ridiculous crap is this? And then I, what happens? I'm Darvin so Ham, happy. I'm so happy. Darvin Ham yielded. Darvin Ham yes. yielded. I'm so oh, happy. That... McMahon was McMahon was so ready. He had this Come rant. On. He planned it out. He thought oh, it through. It's beautiful. He was ready. <laughs> it was and by so the way, good. my other favorite thing that's <laughs> happening with the Lakers. 
Pat Beverly, shoot from the hip, Pat Beverly. His podcast has become the Russell Westbrook propaganda machine. Like, what in the hell is going on here? But the well, I have a message you, for I could, Bev. I could, uh, I could tell you what's going on there. That's Pat Beverly rejoicing in the fact that he's seen as more important to the Lakers than Russell Westbrook. That's what it, that is. And he gets to put his arm around Russ and be 100%. Like, oh, it's okay, Russ. It's, it's okay, okay, Russ. It'll be okay. I'm just going to be the essential guy here, and you can be the, the guy that but no, no, the we big guy that people you. don't want to play. <laughs> yeah, I have to I mean, actually have a message for Bev if he's listening this late in the pod. Um, I'm at our ESPN LA studios. You may remember that Bev did a couple of days of work for ESPN last year. Oh, I remember I was on with him. He's he left a gorgeous Dolce and Gabbana suit here that is just spectacular. You should wear it on TV today, Brian. I do not believe it will fit me, uh, only because the arms are too long. Um uh, but Russ, you're across the street. You just come over and get it. It's it's gorgeous. Um, it's got to be or Russ. Oh man, uh, Pat Bev. Yeah, Ru- um, Russ is not. It's got to be any work for ESPN. It's got to be at least a seven thousand dollars suit. All right. Um, last year, you remember we had an, a rule about the Lakers where we'd stop talking about them. Um, and I'm a little bit worried we're headed there. No, again. That, they have to at least be eliminated from the playoffs. So we can't do that until like right well, after. We're not going to talk them. We're not going to talk about them every pod. But the first game of the <laughs> oh, season. The hell, we ain't. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Well, listen, I mean, hopefully we're not going to talk about him every pod. But the first game of the season, McMahon's point, you got Russ saying he got hurt because he he came off the bench after he said he got hurt because he was sitting on the bench last year. And by the way, it was a a day-to-day thing that that hamstring loosened up just as soon as they put him back. Magically appeared when he was going to start Usually, Usually hamstrings are something you take risks with. If it's sore, you run right back out there. Um, (laughs) No, you just get back out there. By the way, I did did look up all of the um, times in Russell Westbrook's career that he had a hamstring injury because, you know, some players – are prone to hamstring injuries and, you know, they do it once and then they do it three, four times in their career. So I have a, a list here of all of the times Russell Westbrook has missed a game with a hamstring injury. I'm prepared <laughs> to read them. I think it's, I think it's going to take you a long time. The list is over. <laughs> He's never had a hamstring injury. At least it was documented that caused him to miss a game. But well, unless if they just, will. if they just had some shooting, if they had like, I don't know, a three and D guy like Contavious Caldwell Pope, or if they, you know, uh, 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 a Ford who could stretch the floor a little bit, like a Kyle Kuzma, if they, it's just so hard to find shooting, you know, it, like if they just had some guys who could shoot the ball, this, you know, LeBron would have more space to work and everything would fit much better. Well, listen, so, Brian, 
Brian broke down the truth shake on NBA today, and it was a very well done uh, thing on LeBron's history with uh, what he does in these press conferences. Here's what I'll say. Watching him talk about that game, set aside what he said about the shooting, whatever. Uh, the to truth me, that, shrug, by the way. The, the truth shrug. shrug. Sorry. Let me see it, Wendy. Let's, well, let's, let's set LeBron, that aside yeah. for, just well, real quick. What I was going to say, though, was that, that press conference to me, it reminded me of January of 2018. Now, you guys probably remember January 2018. That was when LeBron decided to go on a month hiatus in the season, a playing strike, if you will, to try to get the Cleveland Cavaliers to make trades, to improve the roster because he didn't like what he had around him. The problem is this is game one of 82, Ooh. and LeBron is now doing that with a team that, like, obviously he's saying all this about shooting. Let's say they make this buddy healed Miles Turner trade. Let's just – Say they do that. Trade a pick or two in Russ and do that trade. Man, do we they think keep that, the ball boys away from Miles Turner. Well, that well, that's wild. But uh, Miles Turner, for those that don't know, Miles Turner sprained his ankle stepping on a, a ball boy's foot before their opener didn't play. Uh, um, but are, does anybody think Buddy Heald and Miles Turner are going to make this team a championship level team? I certainly don't. No, so, no, but that's their only hope of getting out of the play. Or I shouldn't say only hope. I think they would have a chance of maybe getting out of the play in. Right. This team you, right now looks like they will, like, if they end up, let's just say they play the Pelicans in the play in, which is, you know, potentially uh, sure. uh, a realistic scenario. The Pelicans would beat them by 42 points. No, no, no question. And that's my point. If that, if all you could do is trade these two picks to maybe get out of the play in tournament. You shouldn't be trading the two picks if you're run competently anyway. So now we're looking at a scenario where the Lakers are going into the season. You got LeBron basically campaigning to change the roster on day one. You've got Russ complaining on day one. And this team has no path to being good. So, yeah, everything in L.A. And the coach great. and the coach back down to Westbrook's demand. But I would just say that, you know, LeBron over the course of a season gives, you know, 100 plus interviews. He used to give 200 plus, but now he's down to 100 plus. So as you can imagine, some interviews are better than others. Some interviews, he is totally going through the motions, which any of us would. Mm -hmm. Some interviews, he is semi-engaged. And then there is the occasional time where LeBron is ready to speak truth. And for me, I could always tell in his eyes. When his eyes are very alert and moving around, you know, he's in, he is loose. And we had a truth interview on opening night. Truth interviews do not happen on opening night. And we also say, don't, is that the earliest truth interview of his career? I have to check my records, but it might be, uh, it's a strong contender. Um, and when LeBron kind of goes a little, on a little soliloquy, he sometimes punctuates it by like tilting his head and throwing his shoulder back. Like, you know, and I call it a truth shrug because, you know, sometimes LeBron's spouting the, the line. Sometimes he's just spouting cliches. And when you've listened to a thousand LeBron interviews, you can identify it instantaneously. Um, and he was just, and you know, here's, here's the thing is that almost all the time LeBron is right. Um, and one of the things he said in this interview, in addition well, to them I not mean, having. I think we need to clear, I think we need to qualify that statement a little bit. Right. Uh, so like here, LeBron is right and to blame. Right. That's more Hold of my on. point. Just, 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 just wait a second. Just wait a second. <laughs> what LeBron said in the interview, which I think we should all heed, and I'm talking about the Lakers, is he made a yeah. football analogy. 
he said, you can't, if you have a quarterback, you can't throw the ball downfield. You don't throw bombs. That wasn't exactly what he said. It's essentially what he said. You know, he said, when you, you know, Tom Brady won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, throwing underneath. And so what I took that to mean is frankly, I mean, stop playing Russ, but I think what he's like, <laughs> you know, if you don't have three point shooters, don't take 40 a game, which is what they are. They, they were 26 and three point shooting in the preseason. By the way, they ranked behind like two or three of the international. The, the NBA keeps the international team stats who come in for the preseason game. They were behind like two or three of the international teams. The Adelaide 36ers completely blew them away. I will just leave them alone with that. But there were a couple other international teams that came in that shot better than the Lakers. Yet you have them shooting 43s a game. And also, so if you have to win a game, if you have to win a football game by throwing underneath and trying to win by field goals – in basketball, that means maybe you can't play the standard NBA where you shoot 43s and, and, you, and you play that way. Maybe they have to start taller players. Maybe they have to take less three-point shooting. Maybe they have to grind games out. Well, with- but, well, well, hold on. Hold on. What are they grinding the games out with? Like, is Dave, if they had started Damian Jones in this game, if they played Damian Jones in this game, okay? They didn't play Damian Jones. I think Decent he was signing. banged up. I think he was a just let's up. just pretend let's just pretend he was healthy and pretend they played him like that's not fixing the problem here. They have nothing to grind the games out with. That's a fair point. But I think what he's saying is it's there. He's saying that their game plan doesn't make sense. What and he's I'm saying is his say, team stinks. That's I what he says. That. I know. So here's what I circle back to. We already know this. We know they stink. We've been talking about all these things for weeks. Of course. That's not accomplishing anything saying that they stink. That's why I didn't bring them up. And watch. They'll probably, you know, there will be games where they do make threes. Watch tonight. They'll make 41% tonight and win. But <laughs> they happen, beat but, the Clippers. Um, so I would just say I still, it goes back to why LeBron extended in August. Why would he extend? Why would he do that? To use my phrase. Why would he do that? Why would he extend and take the pressure off this organization. And Rob Palinka kind of made a answer for that when he, at the preseason, said, well, when LeBron extended, we kind of realized we're going to trade those, those two first-round picks. And so They basically made a promise. Well, well. But again, my point would be, why did, do they have to do that? He, if he doesn't extend, they still are going to have to be under pressure to do that. Rob Palinka uh-huh. said, Rob Palinka, I keep pointing this out. Rob Palinka said they will trade those pit. They owe LeBron an obligation to trade those picks. If they can make a trade that makes them a championship contending team. That is what he actually said. There's not a trade on the board that can do that. Right. There's not, it's, there's just not one. So until so that changes, LeBron shouldn't have extended. LeBron's gonna, well, I agree with that. LeBron, um, well, unless LeBron wants to live in Los Angeles, which seems like that's what he wants to do, which well, then he can sign after the year, but they're, they feel no pressure with him whatsoever, and his only way to apply pressure is to make these speeches. And well, I don't, he can I make it. Make a well, like I said, I just to me the interesting thing about it is that he made this speech on day one. We all knew the team wasn't good, and I don't. There's just not a, to me a path to them doing anything that's going to change anything anyway. So well, I don't know. Just look I, I to Victor Wembanyama being in New Orleans with Zion because they end up winning the lottery <laughs> with the pick. They'll just be the world will end. The world will end. Oh, I'm boy. just going to say that um, I can see an edict on the horizon 
where we ban Lakers talk on this. Hey, game. listen, it'd be fine. It'd be fine with me. But one, the other thing we didn't talk about that game is either this Draymond infomercial before the game oh, or his conversation time. with, with McMahon's got to catch a game. flight. McMahon's got to catch. By the way, uh, the Lakers and the Clippers are banned from Howdy Partners, the YouTube show that discusses the rest of the West. Oh my gosh! Of course, Thank that's God we because got that promo in. Thank God. There you go. Oh, we can there you go. That well, no, I'm, I got one more promo. That's because Ohm and Dave, what is it called? This is OD. They have a they have a all LA YouTube show of their own. I'm Wendy. Like you've spawned all these little, like we're just I've little spawned. spinoffs of you, man. I've spawned all right. Um, <laughs> the hoop collective. The hoop collective. We we stay together in the collective. We uh, stay together like the Nets and the Lakers, baby. <laughs> I think we can agree that Draymond Green is not a victim, oh. regardless of how he's made out to. Here's all we got to say about. Oh, by the way, here's all we, here's all we got to say about that infomercial. He says in the infomercial he didn't really watch the video. He said when he did the interview after the after his first interview a couple of weeks ago, whatever it was, that he watched it like oh, fifteen times. So which was it? Which was it? Also, hey, he's not mad about the money, but what does he do? He shows up to the freaking season opener wearing a money suit, like a bright green suit that's supposed to look like money. Come on, man. Like, Draymond, relax, dude. It was beautifully shot. He he is doing too much. It looked like like, uh, one of those interviews that they would do on uh, Hard Knocks. Tell you I'm, what, sure the Warriors, I'm sure the Warriors. I'm sure the Warriors were a lot better too. than yours right now. That's for sure. That's yeah. true. I agree. I'm sure the I'm sure the Warriors were. I'm sure the Warriors are just thrilled at going into their uh, into their ring night. That was that was what was being done on the on the broadcast. I'm sure they were thrilled about it. Uh, all right. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast, McMahon. Have a safe trip. Bon temps. We'll talk to you next week after you've been in Miami. Thanks for uh, hanging with us. Uh, next week we're going to go to twice a week. We will have. Uh, first podcast uh, on Tuesday, and then these jokers will be back on Friday. God knows what I was, I was saying. We's doing a lot of work in that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to our producers, Jackson and Bruce. Have a good weekend. Adios, amigos.